Amen. Thank you, Jason. Well, it is uh, always good to be together uh, and uh, to worship the Lord together. Uh, just uh, Jeremy and team, thank you so much for uh, laying the foundation, uh, uh, actually reminding us of the firm foundation as we sang in Scripture. And uh, it was interesting, as Jason was praying, I was also thinking back on, on Build My Life. As we were singing Build My Life, it just keeps, it keeps building this sense of, of the foundation and the importance. But what caught my attention this morning was open up my eyes in wonder. You know, we lose wonder pretty quickly because we've got it all figured out. Uh, the ones that were up here handing out the gum, they love wonder. They always are looking for new things. i got a grandson who's four. His name's Oliver, and this guy wants information. I, I was just coming back from a trip to Bulgaria. Somebody had given me some cal- calcidone, a, a, a crystal. He loves crystals. And he was trying to get crystal right. He wanted to make sure he got that name pronounced right and what it was and started talking about the geological stuff related to this stuff. I'm like, seriously. But the wonder that God has placed in children should never leave us when we are reflecting on the one who is, is, is the greatest, the most important. And the one who gives us life. And it goes on to say, And show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your, uh, in, 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 and lead me in, in, to live uh, in, your, in, in your love to those around me. That sense of, of us being a conduit of love. And we're going to talk some about that today because really the conduit of love, the conduit of being present with other people becomes a part of the, of the story today. It's been exciting to work with Jeremy. Uh, I'm watching some new things stir in Jeremy. They probably were old and they, he already knew they were there. I just didn't know they were there because you and I hadn't engaged this way. Uh, but uh, when uh, Pastor Carl started talking about sabbatical and they started talking about shift, they were talking about the way Jeremy would step up. Well, it wasn't long that Jeremy and I were meeting together and one of the things that was, I got a sermon series. I got another sermon series. I got stuff that's on my mind. Right, Jeremy? That's pretty close to the wonder that was inside of you. Uh, he's got some in him in that context. But just this sense of, of something stirring inside. He began to tell me some of those. And I'm like, I like that one. Can I preach? I, I like that one. Can I preach? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll put you on the schedule. Now I open my big mouth. I'm here. Um, but uh, I think particularly just affirming you, Jeremy, again, that sense of there's stuff stirring in. There's a lot of gifts that are there. We don't always see them. But continue to allow the wonder of how God will use you just to keep expanding. Because that's the kind of God we serve. So this particular series, when he started talking about you won't believe, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of you won't believe in the Bible. A lot of you won't believe in the Bible. That sense of the ways in which God works, which are beyond what we can imagine. But you know what? Sometimes we lose the wonder of the story because we know it. We could repeat what's there and we lose the sense of discovery of what's behind the story. What's really happening in that story. How is it so amazing and yet for us it's kind of like, ho oh, hum. Yep, there's Keith preaching again, same old story. I could preach it for him, except I don't want to go up front and preach. Because I know the story. And so as I began to consider this and, and engage with this, uh, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, again, the series kind of a series focused on times when God showed up in an unexpected way and changed people's lives. You won't believe what happened next. We're going to talk about one of those stories today. And so for me, as I considered this, immediately a story jumped out in my mind. Uh, was about one of those pillars of the early church. 
a story that surprises me every time I read it. In fact, after it was assigned and was there and was part of what I was doing, this, these past two weeks I've been in Acts, and I was actually reading the story again. But I was reading with a little more wonder because I was wondering what I was going to talk about up here. No, not really. But the reality was in that context there was that sense of what, when I read it with the eyes of wonder, what jumps out at me, what catches my attention. And so today, we're going to talk about it. title is, You Wouldn't Believe Who Became a Follower of Jesus. You wouldn't believe who became a follower of Jesus. And you can think about it in your own, in your own world, in your own context. You're kind of like, yeah, they're never going to follow Jesus. No, nope, that person's never going to follow Jesus. Yeah, they'll never, they'll never, they'll never, they're too proud. They're never going to follow Jesus. Well, don't be too surprised if in some place, somewhere, sometime, someone that you thought would never surrender to Jesus will. Because we serve a God that's that big. And that's part of looking at story is because in story, something starts to unveil for us. We're like, you know what? I've been living below wonder and all in my own calculation and my capacity to understand it. Because I already figured it out. Get over yourself, okay? I'm serious. Like, we really do, again, this is another whole sermon, so I better not go there. But we really do have so, all this stuff so figured out in our head that we don't really need new wonder. We don't need new revelation because we got it all figured out. The only thing is, you're not God. He is. And he can do things beyond what you could begin to imagine. And so we're going we're gonna to engage in that, this, this story of you won't believe who became a follower of Jesus. Because the truth is, God can touch any life and transform it. Let me say that again. God can touch any life and transform it. Because if he can in today's character, then he can in that person as well. He can do it. Before we talk about this particular biblical character, I'd like us to look at something he said about himself before he met Jesus. Now, you, 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 most of you probably having read your bullet or whatever already know who it is, but for those who didn't, you're probably figuring out who we're going to be talking about in this context because we're talking out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 4, the end there and following. And it says in the NIV, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, or he could have said, I had more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, righteousness based on the law, faultless. He had it all there. He had his degrees and everything. He had it all figured out in his left brain. I've been studying left brain, right brain stuff lately, and we're not going to go into that teaching, but this sense of these two parts of our brains are both created by God, and God wants to release them together. And in that right side of the brain is mystery, awe, and wonder. And in most of our culture, we've shut that one down. Stop the creativity, stop the new stuff, because we are so smart as Americans or as, in, as, as those who have been enlightened in the West or whatever that we don't really need you. Now, I might, say, I might sound a little bit over the top, but actually that's how we behave. Most of the time, we don't really need God because we have figured it all out. And in this context, of course, you've probably figured it out. It's a man named Saul, later to become the Apostle Paul, who he had all the credentials for the religious system of the day. Among the Jewish people, he had it all in line. And then, but God, 
the wonder. And we're going to look at that just a little bit later. The reality was that he had trained under the tutelage of Gamaliel, a very famous rabbi. Saul had all the pedigree to be very, a very famous Jewish leader, and he knew it. He was going to make a name for himself, and he was making a name for himself. He was already on that pathway. And you look briefly at his, his, uh, at his, his list there, a confidence in the flesh. One of the first characteristics you want of a leader in the church is you want confidence in the flesh. Not. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? But he listed that as what's important. I'm confident in my, own, in my own ability. But he didn't talk about his confidence in the one who enabled him to do the work that was there. Again, circumcised according to the Jewish law, a Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous righteousness that was based on the law. All of those things are in that list. But in that context, as he describes himself, we recognize that we could say Saul, by virtue of who he was, was a threat to the church. And that's my first point. Just reckon. He was a big-time threat for the people of the way. The people who had named Jesus were still within the Jewish system, in the synagogues. They were still there, and he was out to get them. Now, we need to go back a little bit in history in, in terms of the background here. But the reality there is that historical perspective, Saul was, again, rising in his place of impact. And we might say stardom among the Pharisees. In Acts 6, where it starts this, we have the account of the calling of Stephen by the apostles along with six other men. They were serving in a deacon-like role to make sure that the widows among the Hellenistic Jews, the non-Jewish believers or followers, would not be overlooked by the church in their benevolence ministry to the Jewish ones. So there was a bit of a challenge there. And they called Stephen, and in that context, he was one of those ones who was standing out in the church. People were, seeing, people were seeing what was happening, and the Jewish leaders didn't like this. They didn't like what he was doing, and so they brought false testimony against him. And there's that context, Acts 6 and then Acts 7, and this transforming work of Jesus in his, in his words as he talked about what Jesus did, it offended the Pharisees. They didn't like this, and at the end of that, they moved towards stoning this man and killing him. In the midst of that terrible atrocity against Stephen, we find Saul, a young Pharisee, first mentioned in Acts 7, 57 through 59. That's what it says. You can see it up on the screen. At, at this, the Pharisees covered their ears. Actually, I don't think I have this one. Sorry. Go, you can go back to the one before. This is just, I was adding in for context. But at the, in, the, in, the, in the context of, of, of chapter 7, at this, the Pharisees covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. This young leader, emerging leader, was the one that they placed the coach beside as they went and they stoned this church leader, Stephen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they had said this, when, when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He was, 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 was stoned to death. This man, Saul, here already you see the beginning of that, was not a, a person that you wanted to cross paths with. He was one of those ones who already was affirming the ways in which the, the religious system was coming against the people of the way. We go to the next chapter, so chapter 8. Now you can put that up there. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
uh, and that's just before that, might be the end of, of 9 and into, into the start of, of, of chapter, uh, chapter 8, end of 7, chapter 8. And Saul approved of them, they're killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both men and women and put them in prison. And Saul became the most feared man by the early church. This reality, this context, this space and place of what, what was happening in that, in, in that context, but Saul began to destroy the church. He took it upon himself. He was going to make this happen. And this now picks, now we pick up this in the context of actually the big story, the, the meta-narrative of what's happening because this transforms the entire early, early church as it was being formed was that Acts 9 now, we'll jump into this passage and I think this is here as well. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that he found, if, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So the context there is really he already is on his way to Damascus. He's got the, he's got the letters and the permission to do what he's going to do in Damascus. And then, but God, the wonder of it all, God does something that we couldn't have imagined. As he neared Damascus on this journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now you look at that. At this part in the story, you still don't quite know what all was going on. The people around him didn't quite know what all was going on because they weren't, they weren't getting the whole picture. But something radical had happened to the man who was persecuting the followers of Jesus to one who encountered the risen Christ. That's a big, that's a big shift. One who's saying, I am so zealous for the religious activity I'm a part of that I would be willing to kill people to keep my religious system in place. And they encountered Jesus Christ on their way to do their work. And suddenly everything changes. Everything changes. He was doing all he could to arrest and persecute and even kill these people of the way, the followers of Jesus the Messiah, and he had gained the power and permission from the high priest to be able to find people the way that, that who might be in the synagogues in Damascus. A treacherous plan, but God, but God came into that situation and transformed it. Now we might say, so what really happened there? And it's interesting because as I studied this and I've been reading through Acts, there's a couple of passages in Acts that actually explain because he is later explaining what happened. Even in this story, it's still, uh, it's still a little bit cryptic because you're not sure what all's happening. 
and then we're not going to go into it, but I'll refer to it later on, is then, of course, God already has a plan, and he's calling, let's just say it would have been Jeremy, okay? And there's somebody who's really, really opposing the church and all that's happening, and suddenly the Lord speaks to Jeremy and said, Jeremy, go over to so-and-so, because I got a message for him. And you're like, uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. I mean, you know who this man is. Ananias wasn't sure what to do with that, but at the end, because he knew God and knew the voice of God, he obeyed, and the result also was the freeing for Saul and for him to receive his sight again. So what really, what really did happen? Well, many years later, in, in Acts 26, and this is the interesting thing, because Saul, who later becomes Paul, has all these incredible journeys, missionary journeys, and places where he's at in front of kings and authorities, in Acts 26, he's actually in front of Agrippa, King Agrippa. And uh, King Agrippa in this context was what, uh, in, in historic, was Mar- Marcus Julius Agrippa II, was the son of Agrippa I and the great-grandson of Herod the Great. So this is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, the one who had done all these atrocious things against the, the babies in the context of Jesus, uh, of, uh, when Jesus was born. But in that, in that, in that context here, he is, on, he is in the, 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 the situation, and Agrippa finds out about him, has, is, is in the set situation in Acts 26. And this is what he says to him. And I, this I just want you to listen to, because it's now, we're now at the place where he is relating the story, the, the story that's, as it unfolds in Acts 26. Acts 26, uh, verses 15, uh, Acts 26, where am I here? Lost my way. Um, Sometimes you do this. You grab the wrong page. Um, Acts 26 uh, says, uh, this meeting with, this, uh, with, with Agrippa, it said that Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to follow this Jesus. That's how close he was to this leader in, in that context, this Roman leader, that he was almost persuaded. But ver- in, in, in Acts 26 it says, I too was convinced, and now he's talking in verse 9 to Agrippa, and he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. So he's there giving his story and talking about how he was opposed to, the, to, to this movement, to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, um, and that it was just, and that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He's giving his testimony about what happened, okay? And many times I went from one synagogue to another one to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. Now again, he's telling the story about what actually happened here. Around noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes Again, we're back to open up my eyes and wonder to open up their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. True story, okay? True story. You won't believe what has just happened, other than we already know the story. So we're kind of like, well, I know that already. But this is radical transformation. This is encounter. This is miraculous encounter. This is God showing up with bright light and all the other stuff that's there and speaking to Saul and prophetically calling him to the work that he has for him, for the church. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that as we, as we continue on here because there's, there's so much more to the story. And actually, that's part of your assignment. I'm going to end with assignments, okay? Because like we're just starting, and if there's wonder out there, then I encourage you to take the wonder and actually apply it into the context of some of these things. Some of it you'll get to do in the, in the, in the I can't think, your, your second service. Is that what's it called? The Next step. I knew it was something like that. Next step. In next steps, but through the week to spend time in this story of Saul becoming Paul and look with eyes of wonder for what it is that God is doing, but what he also might be speaking to you. You know, one of our challenges as a church is that we come together like this to say, you know what, Pastor Carl, Pastor Jeremy, Bishop Keith, whoever, come lay it on us and we'll get all that we need for the week and we're done. No, no, we're just giving you something to start for the week so that you've got something to dig into and see what it is that God wants to speak to you through that context. A lot of what I'm sharing is what he's speaking to me, and it may speak to you, but you can find deeper stuff when you actually enter into that and say, what is it here that I can discover? Saul, who was later became Paul, encountered Jesus in the most unusual way, and his life was transformed. God did work that way. We could spend more time talking about the rest of uh, Paul's testimony in Philippians 3. In fact, I will spend just a brief bit of time there because it's one of my favorite passages. But I talked about Philippians 3. We we had it up on the screen earlier where it talked about if anyone thinks he has a reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, blah, blah, blah. And then he shifts in verse 7. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All of my credentials, they get pushed aside because of this encounter of awe and wonder of the one who has called me. I consider it rubbish, or in a Lancaster County context, probably better, a pile of manure. Actually, as a better translation. It's a pile of manure. That, whatever I had that were my credentials, they're a pile of manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is awesome stuff. But the reality is, is that because we've heard it so many times, we take it for granted as la, 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 la. And yet the truth is, it is the power of the gospel through the person of Jesus Christ, an encounter with Jesus. So I'd encourage you, spend some time in Philippians 3. See what God speaks to you as you continue there. You also might want to do some some reflection in the context of Acts 9, beyond where we went, where you enter into the minds of Ananias. uh, Not Ananias, what am I doing here? Um, yeah, Ananias. I was thinking Ananias is the fire. I'm getting it wrong. But Ananias, in that, in that context where you're the one that God's calling to do something and it doesn't feel comfortable and you don't feel like it's safe. So I just won't. Well, what if it's the opening door for the work of God that he has already planted in somebody else's life? Do you want to say no to that? I don't think so. Or what about the early church leaders? 
how quickly would you have been ready to let Paul have the podium? When was he going to do the bait and switch and suddenly say, ha, now I got you all here. I tricked you. I've got all the leaders now. Spend some time reflecting on that. Now, you might say, in conclusion here, just the reality is, you know what, that was 2,000 years ago. Incredible story. Thanks, Bishop Keith, for giving us new eyes to see. Uh, Finish up so we can move on to the rest of the week that we have. But I'm here to say that uh, this is not about 2,000 years ago. This is about today. Your neighbor, your friend, somebody you know or will encounter that is in a Saul-like posture in place, and the Spirit of God is already hovering there. Are we ready? Are we ready for risk? I just, I just got back from Bulgaria, and just uh, uh, if you can put up uh, the, in that context the next to the last slide there, these are dear friends of mine, Hadi and Penka Atanasov from Bulgaria. Uh, I'm not going to go into details other than God has anointed this couple in incredible ways, working in the southern band of Bulgaria, which is almost all Muslim now, have visited 500 villages looking to plant church planters in every one of those 500 villages. Small vision. And uh, Hadi, not in the context of the same descriptions, but he was a Saul. He would say as a art, both of these are great watercolor artists and also both art teachers, and would say, I was not a good man. And his wife would say he was not a good man. But he was hungry for truth. Bulgaria, pre, you know, pre-fall of, of, of communism, three or four years before communism fell, he was walking, again, he had been into Eastern religion, every possible thing, trying to find something, and knew of the person of Jesus, but didn't, it was just one among many. Sitting by the bus stop, he just told me last week, he said, I was there, and I was sitting there saying, what do I do? And he said, I just heard Allow me to forgive your sins and walk with me. It's Jesus speaking to him. And he said, I walked home and I told Penka. And she looked at me and she said, it's another one of Hadi's harebrained ideas. And she said, I watched him for, for a year and a half. And the longer I watched him, the more I see, saw him being transformed before my very eyes. And finally, I said yes to Jesus as well. It's not just about 200, 2,000 years ago. It's about today. In this context, this place and space, God is tapping the shoulders of people. And often he uses you and me as the one standing beside, praying for, and simply being present in that space to be, as I said in, as said in, that, in, that, in that end of that thing, that his love would flow out to those around me. So if in that context, final just application point, Uh, up here on the slide, if Saul's life could be transformed, then God could transform anyone. Anyone. Let's pray.